All right, so Matt, why are graveyards so noisy? Yeah, uh, I didn't ever really think they were. Well, because of all the coughing. tonight my name is adam and my name's matt now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is graveyard tales (laughs) all right everybody we're back again thank you for hanging out waiting on us through the dark week um we appreciate that all of y'all came back um, I just watched Matt's chair fall straight down. <laughs> I thought we were losing him. So I swear I've tried to flip the switch to raise my seat up and it just dropped me to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here and I got his full head in the thing and then all of a sudden all I've got is nose up and I'm like, what the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> I know that had to look hilarious. It was weird, man. <laughs> it's, it's just like a trap door opened and I just dropped <laughs> yeah. out of his sight. Matt's trying to perfect his magic tricks over here. He only got halfway through the floor. <laughs> All right. So first off, we want to thank uh, Podbelly, podbelly.com uh, for letting us be a part of their network. Go check them out, podbelly.com. Um, we also want to thank this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. Uh, we will talk about them in just a little bit. Now, when this episode goes live, our See a Live show will be the tomorrow. next night. Right. So it'll be tomorrow night. Um, so if you haven't gotten your ticket, it's time. Go get your ticket. You don't want to be late. Um, it will be March 7th at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And we'll run... Till maybe about 9.30 Central Standard Time. So about an hour and a half or so. Yeah. Um, and we'll be going over all of the episodes that we've done between the two SIA shows. So this one that you're listening to now will be on there. So come join us so you can see pictures of what we're talking about. So we've also got a live show in Pigeon Forge July 18th with Hillbilly Horror Stories. So if you want to see... Matt, myself, and Jerry and Tracy, you should get a ticket. Come on out. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. Uh, we had a blast at the last live show we did mm-hmm. with uh, with Hillbilly Horror Stories. So come on out. I mean, you know, it's it's real casual. Uh, you get to meet and hang out, talk to all of us, um, and then you you get to hear us hear us live. You know, essentially do a, do a, a live show right there for you. Um, and it's, you know, it's a good night out. So if you're in the Pigeon Forge area, uh, come on by. Right. Um, and you can get those tickets on our website. Go to graveyardpodcast.com, and there is a link where you can buy those tickets. So go do that. Now, Matt, some of the people on our social media will know this because I posted um, pictures of us and then the the promo video we did for the See Live show. But I drove up there to Tennessee visit with some family and and met up with you and hung out with you and Amanda for a while. Um, but 
I had to get this off my chest because I know we have some people that are truck drivers that drive uh, semis and stuff, and they listen to us. And I wanted to ask them why this happens every single time. And I don't know if I told you this, but going through Memphis, there is a spot in Memphis where the interstate turns to the right or turns to the left to join up with another interstate, but it jumps down to one lane. Mm -hmm. So it goes from the two exiting lanes down to one lane. Every single time. I'm not kidding. This happens. I'm in the left lane and the right lane goes away. So there is a semi behind me and we're making that curve. This semi jumps over to the right lane and guns it to get up beside me and then starts turning to get into my lane. (laughs) And I'm not kidding. There was a couple times before I knew this was just par for Memphis that I almost got ran into the guardrail, the concrete guardrail. So now I just, if I see a semi behind me, I know I'm going to get almost run off the road by this semi. And my question is, why? And why is it only there? Why in Memphis? What what is it about Memphis semi drivers that want to run me off the road? And you know what's funny is, you know, Not I that. went I went to uh, I went to grad school in Memphis, so mm-hmm. I I lived in Memphis for a few years. I'm sorry. And uh, yeah, well, you know, it, Memphis <laughs> Memphis honestly is a great town if you're a student. Truck drivers are terrible there. There's there's tons of stuff to do in Memphis. I mean it's 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 geared for the older college student. I mean right. seriously. But what you describe was it was going on when I was in school there. Now I graduated in 1997. Right. so So why it's been a minute yeah why is it still why are they still trying to kill people in jeeps i I don't know i I mean it's like but what you described was exactly how it was maybe not in the exact spot but i know exactly what you're talking about it's nightmarish yeah it really is and the last few times i have just out of I, I don't not have it, but just it happened. I hit the horn and I'm thinking that is a bad thing to do in Memphis because I'm going to end up shot in Memphis by a truck driver. So my question is to the truck drivers, why? What? It, they've got to see me. They were behind me and they knew they had to get over to go around me. But is it just I'm bigger than your Jeep so I, I can do this? Or what is it about Memphis? I mean, that's. 800 and something, almost 900 miles that I drive from Texas to Nashville, and yeah. that only happens there. I, you know what? You need a CB. I do. Get on there and be like, come on, don't get over here on old teddy bear. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Stay off a of teddy bear's butt. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't need a CB because I really would get myself shot. But. <laughs> Ghosts and paranormal stuff are mine and Adam's passion, but even we need the occasional break. So when we feel like we need a mental palate cleanser, our go-to refresher is Best Fiend. 
Best Fiends is a mobile game that focuses on challenging puzzles and defeating the evil slugs using some of the, the cutest and most colorful bugs you can imagine. Really cool looking. Yeah, and it, it has challenging puzzles, but it's a casual game that anybody can play, but it's made for adults. Now, I know Amanda and I play, uh, and she is way better than I am, <laughs> and I am on level 65, and and Amanda right. is on level 686, so that that gives you an idea of how much better she is than I. <laughs> and and that that is a thing at our house. You know, she reminds me often how much better she is at this game than I am. Um, <laughs> but that's part of the fun. Discussing your progress with your friends, online, or even in person, of how far you've gotten in Best Fiends makes the game even that much fun. And the graphics are amazing. Uh, the the bright colors, uh, the unique little bugs that you can unlock, uh, each with its own set of of strengths and powers, um, make it not just a puzzle game but also a strategy game. And it just it keeps you playing, and it's just it's just so much fun to sit down and and kill a few minutes and know hey, I can hit this back in a couple of hours and pick right up where I left off. Right. And, you know, like you're saying, it, it's a, a casual game. I'm not I'm not a gamer. I'm not somebody who games all the time, but this is one of those games where you don't have to be. You know, you can, like you said, pick it up and play it whenever you want to. And, like, if you're sitting waiting uh, to pick the kid up from school and you got a few minutes in the car while you're waiting, you can pick it up and pick it up then and play it and ashley and i it's usually our thing right before we go to bed we'll sit there and play best fiends and you know we banter back and forth because again like amanda ashley is much better at it than i am um but you can see if you'll connect this game to your facebook profile you can see where everybody's at like, I know where Matt's at. I know where Amanda's at. I know where Ashley's at because you can see them on that game. So it's really cool. And you can share it on your social media and find out. And like Matt was saying, it's a unique and exciting puzzle experience that's not like any other puzzle game that's out there. Uh, Best Fiends also updates this game monthly with new levels. So it never gets old. Like right now, um, they've got one topic you know as the kind of the overall uh feel of the game but next month it's going to be a whole new one so you never get bored with it it's never something that you get on oh this again you know it's always something new and best fiends actually treats the game like a service for their players so they're giving you something by doing this they're not just saying hey come play this game you know they're they're putting it out there because they want you to enjoy it the, the cool thing about it, you don't need internet to play this. So if you're exactly. traveling, yeah. if, if you're sitting in the car going down the interstate, like when Ashley and I go on trips, I'm driving, well, she can sit there and play this game. Or if you're in an airport and you got to put your plane on uh, airplane mode, you can still play this game. And it, it like Matt said, it, it's a great mental palate cleanser for you. You can engage your brain with these fun puzzles and you can collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, 
with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Not joking. Um, you can download Best Fiends free on Apple App Store or Google Play. Now remember, that's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Yeah, download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiend. All right, Matt. So on that note, (laughs) why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother? So tonight, we're going to discuss the the strangeness of one of Glasgow, Scotland's most haunted places. And the reason it's strange is we don't really understand why this place is so haunted. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're going to get into that. No, tonight we're going to talk about the Glasgow necropolis and right. i mean this place is really cool if you if you're into old graveyards and cemeteries with tombstones that date back you know over a century like you and i are yeah and and as you can tell from the pictures we posted that cemetery is not even a, it's barely a mile from my house. Right. And some of the gravestones that we looked at, I mean, they date back. Well, we looked, we found one that was what, 1836 was when the person had died. Right. Not when right. they were born. This was so when they were they born were 17 something. there. Yeah. And, uh, and then, I mean, that wasn't just one. I mean, you know, we there was were somebody, at, they were born 1796. So, yeah, uh, it yeah. was 20 years after the U S became an official country. Right. You know, so, you know, it's, it's super interesting and there's, there's a lot of, of well-known people buried here, but what we're, we're going to talk about some of that. And we're going to talk about, is this place really as haunted as what, you know, the, the media would want you to believe. Every website you look at wants you to Everyone. believe. Everyone. If you go and Google most haunted places in Glasgow, Scotland, this place is going to be on that list. And and it's probably going to be on several of the ones if, you know, the most haunted in Scotland as a whole. And we've talked about several places in Scotland and they're pretty freaking haunted. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but, you know, this place, like I said, super interesting. So we decided we're, we're going to present this information. Um, and, and I mean, it's got some it's got some activity there, but we're going to get into that. So I'm going to let Adam take off on the history of this place, because the, the history is not just it's not sc- scary history. It's just really, really interesting. It really is. And, and me being the history buff that I am. I I really enjoyed doing the research on this because it it's fascinating and it it's been around for a long long time but like Matt was saying when we were doing the research for this place Matt and I talked back and forth and we were really questioning whether we should do this episode or not and we kind of came to the conclusion that we thought it was important that we did this episode 
mainly because of the fact that, like we said, every place you see says the Glasgow Necropolis is super haunted. It's like really, really haunted. And we thought, well, let's compile the information and let's tell them what we've really found. And that's why we're doing this episode. It, it's again, we're trying to present factual information and not blow things out of proportion like a lot of website and media does. That's not what Graveyard Tales does. We, If it's there, we present it. If it's not there, we're not going to make it up. We so might. The, well, we might, but... <laughs> no, we won't. Know, it, we won't make it up. <laughs> it, we would do it laughing so you would know we were making it up. You'd know. We'd tell you. We'd let you yeah. in on it. <laughs> we won't mislead you on this show purposefully. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've probably Unless misled a few people uh, uh, inadvertently. <laughs> Unless it's for a good joke, and then we might mislead you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the Glasgow Necropolis actually sits right next to the Glasgow Cathedral, and I've got a kind of a map of where it sits that if you go join the See Alive show, we'll show you exactly where this sits and an actual layout of the necropolis. Well, in 1650, the merchant's house bought the land, which was part of the estate of Wester Craigs that is now known as the Glasgow Necropolis. Now, as the west side was rocky and not really able to be developed, it was subsequently planted with fir trees, and it became known as Fir Park. Not like a fir piece, but like uh, fir park. <laughs> you know <laughs> fur piece <laughs> yeah it's a fur piece <laughs> well we'll know who the southerners are that listen to this show that know yeah right that <laughs> there's gonna be there's gonna be somebody that's listening like in vermont going what the heck are they talking about yeah what what is a fur piece like if you are like a piece of fur no no <laughs> and we're not gonna explain it if you don't know what it is all right well in 1804 the Scots firs in the park started to die. So they were replaced by elm and willows, and the area then became a Victorian park and arboretum. In 1825, the foundation stone of the John Knox Monument was laid in Fir Park. Well, the John Knox statue was Scotland's first structural commemoration to John Knox, and this has stood here long before the cemetery that we're about to talk about was created. The three modern memorials, just to kind of put it into perspective here, if you're in Scotland, you probably know these, uh, include one that pays homage to stillborn children, a Korea War memorial, and another to the Glasgow Victoria Cross honorees. Now, in 1831, John Strange, S-T-R-A-N-G, so it might be Strang or something. I'm going to call him John Strange. Good uh, enough. Yeah, good enough. Chamberlain at the Merchant's House wrote thoughts on death and moral stimulus. And he commented, quote, the fur park appears admirably adapted for a pere la chaise, which would harmonize beautifully with the adjacent scenery and constitute a solemn and appropriate appendage to the venerable structure, the cathedral, in front of which 
while it will afford a much-wanted accommodation to the higher classes, would at the same time convert an unproductive property into a general and lucrative source of profit to a charitable institution. Mm. Now, it was, yeah, so you see, it's it's all started out as a money-making thing, really. Yeah, it's a, it's a scheme here. Mm-hmm. Hey, inter- interesting fact. Do, do you know? Uh-oh. Now, interesting fact time with Matt. So, so the the necro you mentioned it the, the necropolis was the the concept of it was modeled after Pierre Lachey uh, mm-hmm. in in France and a little rock and roll history for you who's buried what 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 rock and roll icon is buried at Pierre Lachey I should know this but I don't you should and I can't believe you don't Jim Morris you're gonna say it oh, okay yep. Jim Morrison. I was going to say buried. you're going to say it, and I'll know it. There's going to there's like a thousand people right now screaming it at the radio. <laughs> I know, I know. Jim Adam, Morrison! you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm actually I'm I'm a little depressed that I forgot that. <laughs> I really am. I got into the Doors real big in high school, so that's when the movie yeah. came out. I usually tried to go out of Doors, but you know whatever. <laughs> well. It was to be, quote, respectful to the dead, safe and sanitary to the living, dedicated to the genius of memory and to extend religious and moral feeling. So he had big lofty ideas. Well, originally, the necropolis was supposed to be designed with catacombs that ran into enormous hills that were looking over Glasgow Cathedral. And this was decided necessary because... There was a, a highly profitable resurrectionist industry. And I don't know if we've talked about them on a show before or not, but this is where you'll know exactly what this is because it's been in books and movies and all that. But grave robbers would exhume bodies of freshly deceased people and they would sell them to anatomists. Yeah. So people wanted you know, to study these bodies or do right. experiments on them. Right, and they weren't allowed to by law at the time, so the resurrectionists are the way that they were able to do that. Yeah, well, you know, you you can't just get a dead body, so right, you, you got to steal one that's just been buried. Right, there was no uh, donate your body to science thing at this time. Yeah, and I mean that the grave robbing was a a bad enough problem. Because people right. were buried with valuables and things like that, and people knew that, and you know, an unguarded cemetery could be like a gold mine to, you know, somebody that was, you know, looking to uh, uh, l- lighten someone's afterlife load. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, oh well, right. he's not going to be needing this ring or this necklace or. She's not going to need these earrings. Uh, oh, these shoes might you yeah. know, f- fetch, a, <laughs> fetch a pretty penny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was pretty common. And then on top of that, you got people that just, they, they weren't, they didn't care about all that. Or, you know, these resurrectionists that would hire these just essentially street thieves to go and, and, and rob these graves. All they wanted was the body. So they're telling them, look, we'll, we'll pay you a little bit of money. You know, you go and rob this grave 
and you can keep all the valuables that you find in it. Mm-hmm. And and that's what would happen. You know, so sure. you know, it it was a, it was a two-fold system, you know, these these the these street street thugs uh, would be recruited and they'd go dig up a grave knowing that if uh if they had any gold or silver or jewels that they were going to get to keep those for profit. And all they had yeah. to do was deliver the body to this anatomist that wanted to study it. Right. And it was highly profitable. Well, the Anatomy Act of 1832 ensured that this corpse robbing would no longer be profitable. So that need to have an extensive winding set of catacombs actually went away. They, Well, we don't need that because the Anatomy Act is going to keep that from happening. Mm-hmm. Well, like we said earlier, based on the La Chaise Cemetery in Paris, the world's most visited cemetery, the Glasgow Necropolis was created at a time when Glasgow was the, the, quote, second city of the empire. So they were a big deal at this time. Mm-hmm. Well, in 1832, the Cemeteries Act was passed in Britain, and this allowed burial for profit. So again, we're, we're going back to profit, like we said just a few minutes ago. This yeah. was done a lot to make money. Well, before the act, the parish church held full responsibility for burying any of the dead. At the time, Glasgow had a growing population with fewer folks that were actually attending church, and the city was one of the first to take advantage of this act. Because if you're not going to church on a regular basis, this parish may not want to bury you because you don't attend their flock, you know? Yeah, certainly not in their cemetery. Right, right. So the Cemeteries Act allowed basically for morticians and and funeral directors and stuff to start taking place. So you can thank that Cemeteries Act in 1832 for what we have now or not thank them, however you want to, however you feel about it. Now, in April of 1833, the Victorian Glasgow Necropolis officially opened. Now, this burial ground was always intended to be interdenominational. So the first burial in 1832, right before it officially opened, was that of a Jewish man, Joseph Levi, who was a jeweler. In 1833, the first Christian burial was of Elizabeth Miles, who was stepmother to the superintendent, George Milne. After 1860, the first extensions east and south were to take up the Ladywell Quarry, and in 1877 and 1892 and 93, the final extensions to the north and southeast were constructed, doubling the size of the cemetery. So at this point, the necropolis was 37 acres. 37 acres. Yeah. That's so this huge. is a, it is a 37 acre or 15 hectare acre or however you say that cemetery. It It's, it's huge, huge. Yeah. I mean, you just, you, you just, you wouldn't expect that at right. that time. Right. Well, 50,000 burials have taken place at the necropolis. And most of the 3,500 tombs have been constructed up to 14 feet deep with stone walls 
and brick partitions. So 3,500 tombs, and this is these are big-time tombs. You know, these are not your quickly constructed cardboard tombs. You know, these, these are heavy-duty. Now, on the top of these necropolis tombs, um, they, they ended up being blasted out of the rock face. In 1877, the Molindinar berm running under the Bridge of Size was culverted. Now, this burn um, in which St. Mungo was said to have fished his salmon is now underground on its way to the Clyde. Sir, listen, hang on. Okay, let me tell you the truth. I'm, I'm, I work with y'all. Get someone here now. This is Jeremy Banks. His girlfriend, Michelle O'Connell, her death was officially ruled a suicide, but not everyone believes the sheriff's conclusion. Then, a private citizen named Eli Washtock began investigating her case. But before he could finish, he was murdered. We're picking up where Eli Washtock left off. From the creators of Twisted and Pretend Podcast, this is Criminal Conduct, Season 1, an investigative podcast looking into the death of Michelle O'Connell and the murder of Eli Washtock. Download Criminal Conduct wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, posing as the Glaswegian stairway to heaven at the gates of the necropolis is the David Hamilton-designed Bridge of Size. So this bridge, a Scottish take on Pont de Suspiri in Venice, forms a crossing over the Molindinar Burn and has received its fair share of funeral processions over time. Well, they call it an eclectic mix of architectural wonders, and exquisite memorials. There's 180 plant species and trees in the Glasgow necropolis. They are almost as remarkable as the array of people buried inside. And those include 13 World War One and five World War II Commonwealth service members. Now the necropolis, this, this is one of the coolest things I've found about this necropolis. The necropolis was one of the few cemeteries to keep records of the dead, including profession, ages, sex, and cause of death. So they have records on everybody in there. Now that, that's in, that's also very odd for that time. Yes. You know, that they yeah. would have detailed records of each individual buried there. That you know, it, those kind of those kind of records weren't kept well around that time, um, and oftentimes they were lost or destroyed or just simply degraded over time. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, if, if the tombstone had worn off, there was no way in the world to tell who was there. Right. Well, in July 1878, the visitors' book shows that 13,733 people visited the Glasgow Necropolis, 12,400 citizens, and 1,333 other visitors. So they're even keeping track of the visitors, Matt. So <laughs> if, yeah, yeah if, you know, they, they may become a resident one day. Yeah, all right. There you go. 
Um, well, if you want to look at some of these that are the these people that are buried there, you can actually go to glasgownecropolis.org slash profiles. And I've put a link to that along with all of the rest of our sources in our show notes. Um, scroll down to the bottom and you can find the link to that or just glasgownecropolis.org slash profiles. Now, in one of the most prominent locations in the cemetery is a stone commemorating one William Miller. Now, he was a cabinet maker who died destitute. So you wonder, why does he have a, a big stone commemorating him if he was a cabinet maker who died destitute? Well, Miller was born in the city's Brigate area and raised in Deniston. Um, he was the man who wrote the poem, We Willy Winky. Hey, well, there you and go. I'm sure uh, probably 90% of y'all know what that is, and the other 10% are too young to know what that is. Remember, um, I, had a, I had a book when I was a kid. I think it was Childcraft. But they had all these 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 old poems and and stuff and they had illustrations and the, mm-hmm. the whoever did those illustrations they were all of them were borderline creepy oh yeah you, know, you kind of yeah. looked at it it was it, i it had humpty dumpty in there and i remember as a kid going god humpty dumpty looks like he'd eat your face you know <laughs> yeah. he looks mad you know, a lot of those old I've, drawings were they were creepy I remember you, you know, the old poem, the highwayman, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's not really an epic poem, but it's, it's a long poem. Ah, oh, it had all these illustrations and I was like, man, this is almost terrifying, but we Willie Winky was in there and I can, in my head, I can picture the, uh, the illustration for we Willie Winky and even we Willie Winky was scary looking, right? You know, if I if I can find that old illustration, we'll have it for the See You Live show. But there I mean, you you'll go. see what I'm talking about. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, when you said that, I, that the picture pops in my head, and I'm like, and why? Why was that so creepy? Why did it need to be creepy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to keep children awake at night. That's why. I, it kept me awake. There you go. Well, this poem first appeared. Um, it was simply called Willy Winky. Um, it appeared in 1842 in a collection of poems called Whistle Binky, Stories for the Fireside. So I don't know what a Whistle Binky is, and I, it sounds dirty, and I don't want to find out. <laughs> oh, we need to know. Some, <laughs> somebody in the graveyard knows. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Well, Miller achieved a degree of fame as a result, and he became known as the laureate of the nursery. But it really failed to make him a fortune in his life. Um, so, you know, he the rest of his life was what they consider fairly tragic. Well, he had always wanted to become a surgeon, but that dream had been shattered by ill health. Instead, he was apprenticed to a wood turner and became a cabinet maker. By the time he was 36, he had all but given up on his poetical career, but he did publish a volume of his works in 1863 entitled Scottish Nursery Songs and Other Poems. In 1871, he had to retire from work due to an ulcerated leg, and it became 
super infected the following year, and that ended up leading to his death from spinal paralysis at the age of 62. So that's a terrible way to go. Yeah, that stinks. Um, at the time of his death, he was in poverty, and he left behind a wife and two sons. Well, Miller was buried in an unmarked grave in Toll Cross Cemetery. Well, a few years later, the Necropolis Memorial was, er- was erected by public subscription. So people got together and actually erected this memorial for him. Um, they say it's really easy to find there. It's on the main path across the footbridge from the Glasgow Cathedral. Now, that Wee Willie Winky poem was written in Scots, and it's been translated into a ton of different languages since Miller wrote it. And they say it's, quote, arguably the best of best known of all children's nursery rhymes. And like I said, if you're, you know, my age or older, maybe maybe a little bit younger, but I don't think a lot of people know it nowadays. I will say I don't I don't know that I agree with that now. <laughs> no, um, but I copied down the poem and I'm going to read it here. It's pretty quick. Just so nostalgic for those people who have heard it before. And if you haven't, here you go. We Willie Rink. <laughs> right. We Willie Winky runs through the town upstairs and downstairs in his nightgown, tapping at the window and crying through the lock. Are all the children in their beds? It's past eight o'clock. So, and I mean, that's it. <laughs> it's short, and there it is. Nothing um, creepy about it, but yet uh, this illustration of a creepy old man in a nightgown carrying a candle through a dark street, peeking in some mm-hmm. kid's window, creepy as hell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's creepy. If you actually break it's it all, down, that's a creepy all, guy. It's all in how you how you draw it, I guess. <laughs> right. Well, and how you think about it, you know. <laughs> True. True. Um, we were actually talking. I got into a conversation with somebody in the graveyard about us doing nursery rhymes and where they came from. And I don't know that I told you this, Matt, but I looked into doing some as a Patreon. Oh, I was yeah. like, this would be a cool Patreon. Some of the some some of the beginnings of these, some of the reported where they came from, what they mean. I could not bring myself to talk about. So I had to table it until I could find the correct ones to do because mm. some of these nursery rhymes are, it's not just weird. It's not just morbid. Like some of them are, no, we are not talking about even on a Graveyard Tales Patreon episode. Wow. So if that, yeah, if that tells you anything uh, about it, um, they they were bad. Um, so we've got to find the right ones and we'll do a episode on that, but that would be cool. Cause I think everybody's familiar with the ring around the rosy thing mm-hmm. being about the black plague. Right. You know, so yeah, that would be interesting. You know, I, and, I think, I think we should look into that. Maybe skip over these that you're discussing. You can yeah, tell me we, off, off the air. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll tell you off mic what these are and you'll, you'll go, yeah, Hey, good job. Not putting those out. <laughs> Yeah, good call. (laughs) Um, Well, arguably one of the world's greatest businessmen, chemist, and industrialist, Charles Tennant, is buried in the necropolis. Now, he helped to transform the weaving industry, um, one of the most profitable industries at the time. Charles Tennant 
uh, was at the helm of this industrial company, um, St. Rolex, um, and it helped expand into the largest chemical works in the world. So he was also integral in the pursuit of liberal reforms for the people of Glasgow. And without his influence, the Scottish Reform Bill of 1832 probably would never have been passed. So Charles Tennant was a very influential man, and he's actually buried in the necropolis here. So there's a lot of famous people that you would know if you go look up that are buried here. Well, the necropolis has been called, quote, a 37-acre landscape metaphor of Freemasonry that is, quote, hidden in plain sight, Mm -hmm. um, as the old saying goes. And... You know, I I can't argue much of what I'm about to read here because it's it might be uh, a metaphor for Freemasonry. And we'll just leave it at that. Um, the majority of the people involved in its creation were well-known Freemasons. And the most well-known members buried in the necropolis are Freemasons. And there are multiple Freemason symbols scattered throughout the site. Now, the La Chase of which Glasgow's uh, main influence, that was originally designed by Freemason Alexander Theodore Brognart. So, I mean, it, it's very possible that, you know, this is a big Freemason thing, and that could be a whole nother thing we could travel down if you believe some of the theories about Freemasons. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised at that because... Of of that era, the, the you know the the mid to late eighteen hundreds, the the most influential people, whether it was in government or business, um, you know, city planning, uh, it, it it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. They were Freemasons. Sure. And it wasn't, and it wasn't always necessarily a situation where you were just like, Hey, come join our secret club, you know, learn the handshake, you know, all that kind of stuff. We hang out and drink and, you know, have bowling night on Tuesday. There was a, there was a level of influence that being a Freemason carried. um, And there was connection. And you wanted to get, you, you think it's tough to get a sidewalk built in your neighborhood now. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, you, you think about it, you know, some, something, you know, in and around the city um, was a problem. If, if you needed something done about it, you most likely were going to have to talk to a Freemason. Now, they didn't have like a shop where you go, hey, come and hire a Freemason. But if you went to somebody influential in, you know, the city government, um, there was a really good chance that that person was a Freemason. And that person knew another Freemason who had a business that could get this done. And that's where the connections were. So in some ways, if you had any kind of clout, you you needed to be a Freemason or you were on the outside. Right. Um, you you weren't in the know of the interworkings of where you lived. You know, right. You, so a lot of this stuff had to be done by Freemasons. I mean, it, yeah, as as many influencers that are buried uh at the necropolis, 
there's no doubt that a large portion of them are Freemasons. Um, and even to this day, you know, when, when you go to the funeral of somebody who was in the Masons, um, it's a little bit different. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's an, in, there's an entire process that occurs, um, when a Freemason dies, um, you know, their tombstones usually will carry the Masonic logo. Right. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's a way of life. Um, and, and it was then too. So, um, the, the fact that the symbol symbology is there, um, the influence in the creation of the, the graveyard was there. And the people there being Freemasons, yeah, I'm I'm not surprised at all. But yeah, you know, with all the other Freemason stuff, it makes you wonder. Okay, is there some kind of secret message <laughs> hidden right. in these tombstones? Is there some secret path you can take that answers some kind of arcane question? You know, all of that stuff. You know, it's like you know, this will be the next Dan Brown book. You know, right, <laughs> right. Well, I've got uh, a couple good friends who are actually Freemasons, and we've sat down and had talks before about it, and we kind of talked before we did our Secret Society episode. Um, I talked to them about stuff, and I'm just waiting for them to get high enough up where they learn some of this arcane knowledge and can pass it along to me. (laughs) Right now, they don't know it, (laughs) or they're not telling me. It ain't happening. Right. I need to just become a Mason myself and learn it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's out there. You know, yeah, they wouldn't I mean. they wouldn't let me in because they they would know I do this podcast and I would talk about it on here and that would be breaking the code of the Masons. Yeah, but exactly. whatever. We can't let you this can't guy let in. He's going to talk in. about it. He's going to rat us all out. Yeah, he's got a big <laughs> mouth. He's not going to be able to keep that quiet. Well, in back, off our tangent, back to the necropolis here yeah. in. Uh, 1966, the Merchant's House gave the necropolis to Glasgow City Council, which now administers and maintains it. The benches and grave surrounds have been removed and most of the area put to grass for maintenance purposes. So a lot of that decoration and stuff that used to be there, they've kind of moved and and they're, they're beautifying it, but not with all the seating areas and in the the big walls and stuff around the graves um now there are monuments here that have been designed by major architects and sculptures of the time including alexander greek thompson charles renier mcintosh and jt rockhead um, in every architectural style created for the prominent and wealthy entrepreneurs of the quote second city of the empire so like we talked about, they were very influential um, at the time the city was and the people who were buried there. So you can go through and you can see all sorts. Um, we'll have some pictures. Um, I found some today that I saved for the See Alive show of the sculptures and the, the graves and the tombstones and everything. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful necropolis. But you know, like we were saying, is it really a haunted necropolis or is it just a cool uh, old cemetery with cool story and cool history? Yeah, that's the big question is, is it haunted? Now, with the the age, the number of people buried there, um, y- you would think, 
Yeah, I bet it's haunted. You uh, would I'm, think. Not, I'm not walking through it at night. A lot of people do. Um, it's it's open would. to the public. It's completely free to visit. Um, and and you can wander through and and see all the all the tombstones. You can take tours. Um, they and have even quote unquote ghost tours. They have ghost tours, which you know I actually got online and took a virtual ghost tour. Uh, didn't see the ghosts and didn't really Dang. hear that many ghost stories. Um, but like we said at the top of the show, this place has a. Ha, ha, has a prominent residence in the lists of the most haunted place places in in Glasgow and even in Scotland. Still weird to me. I just I will get into why that's weird to me, or Matt will get into why that's weird to me. But it, it it's weird to me. So it it's said that the first person that's buried in a graveyard, their soul is destined to be the protector of of the graveyard. So I don't want to be that guy. So if that holds true, then Joseph Levi, the 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 Jewish jeweler, uh, as the first person buried in the necropolis, is the protector. However, there are there are no spirit encounters that are directly associated with him or his gravesite. So it seems strange. That would be the first one you'd probably go after if. Mm-hmm. but there's there's come a lot of interesting stories about you know the the graveyard itself and this one really it it sounds like the the legends you tell your kids to try to keep them from doing something or going somewhere <laughs> right this is about the gorbel's vampire now the the Gorbel's vampire, or sometimes just referred to as as the beast of the Glasgow necropolis, has been described as being a seven foot tall monstrous creature, containing a mouthful of razor sharp iron teeth. Now this story came about after two young local children were supposedly murdered by the Gorbel's vampire. It said that following this event in 1954, hundreds of school-aged children descended on the Glasgow necropolis, and they came armed with weapons ready to fight and kill the Gorbel's vampire. Okay? So the police found out that this is what was going to happen, and so they managed to put officers in the graveyard and break up the gang and sent these children home. Now, soon after that, horror comic books that had arrived in Scotland from the U.S. were banned from being sold to minors. The one that was mentioned in one of the articles was Tales from the Crypt. Oh, so. They felt like the imagery of these, what we would call now a graphic novel, mm-hmm. um, was too much for these children. And they had the disappearance, the, the legitimate disappearance of these two children just propagated the idea that there was some kind of creature living in that cemetery. Right. Okay. 
And and since it was the children that decided they were going to take up arms against it, this was the government's action. We're gonna we're gonna quit selling these scary comic <laughs> books to kids. Okay. Um fantastic but, idea. You know, the the legend is still out there. And uh it's it's you know, a a, a famous urban legend in Glasgow. Don't take um, up a pitchfork and go to the necropolis. <laughs> You're not going to no, find him. No other sightings. No, no other missing children. Nothing like that. It's a one one time shot. Which yeah, that's one a, and done. It's a dead giveaway right there. As, right as an urban land. It's a cool one. I mean, it is a cool one. Or it's just a really lazy vampire. <laughs> He's like, like this was too much. Two's my limit. Man. Two's my yeah. limit on these kids. I'm good yeah, it, for a long time. It was too much publicity. I got to wait, you know, I got to wait yeah. several hundred years. <laughs> but one, one of the most reported things in the, in the graveyard is the apparition of the woman in white. And it is said that she roams the cemetery gliding through the tombstones in the early hours of the morning. Now, also many have claimed to witness statues on top of the graves, moving as if they were living beings. Now, it is said that there is a statue of a woman that sits on top of the grave of three people who were killed in a tram car accident in 1933. And this woman's face will change and move and turn to watch you as you walk by the grave. If that's true, that's creepy. Yeah. Now, see, now that I that's a good that's a good story. Um, other people have heard sounds of whispering when no one is around, and have even picked up on disembodied voices all throughout the graveyard. Now, as far as legitimate stories, it's about it. <laughs> you hear you you hear a lot of stuff about well, you can. You can see spirits roaming through the graveyard. Oh, really? Where? All throughout. Okay. <laughs> are there any that are close to this tombstone? You know, this this guy died in a real mysterious way. Uh, yeah, not really. Yeah. Um, do you ever see the ghost of Joseph Levi, Charles Tennant? Do you ever see Wee Willie Rinky, Winky running through this <laughs> cemetery? Uh, no. Right. And, and you're kind of like, Okay. 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 Well, and, and you know, it just kind of makes you go, okay, so what, what, what would I expect to see? Well, if you, if you don't see a full on apparition, um, you know, light orbs are very common in the cemetery as you know, a lot of people report orbs in many cemeteries that they visit. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned the disembodied voices, the sound of whispering, uh, the idea that you're being watched or that you're not alone, um, also very common that, you know, if I'm in a cemetery alone, I'm going to feel like I'm not alone all the time, period. Sure. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not terrified of going into a cemetery. I mean, you know, Adam and I, you know, spent a good bit looking through the old Gallatin cemetery. Right. Um, but if I was standing there by myself, especially at night, I'm probably going to freak myself out. Sure. I'm probably going to hear more than was really going on. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to get behind this. But 
the cathedral that is there, right, that sits adjacent to the Glasgow Necropolis um, is now a hotel. But the history behind that cathedral is unique enough that it has produced some hauntings. Now, the Cathedral House Hotel is, like I said, is now a kind of a boutique hotel and restaurant. Um, it, it hosts weddings and parties. Seems sacrilegious. But, uh, almost. <laughs> uh, but the original purpose for the building was very different. Uh, when the Cathedral House was built in 1877, it was used to hold prisoners who had recently been released from the neighboring Duke Street Prison. So it was a halfway house. Sure, yeah. So the Duke Street Prison was famous for its terrible living conditions, and it had some of Scotland's most dangerous criminals inside. And so when they completed their sentence, the the cathedral house was where they went. So many of the prisoners that were there were transferred to Barlini when it opened in 1880, in the 1880s. But Duke Street remained open as a women's prison until 1955. Now, the old Duke Street prison was eventually demolished in 58, and the only trace that remains is a boundary wall which runs along the back of the Cathedral House Hotel. Now, the Duke Street Prison was also the site of many executions, 12 of those happening in the 20th century. So not only was it an old prison, it remained a prison, you know, well into the 1900s. Like For said, a long it, time. It didn't close until 1958. Right. I mean, that's pretty modern for the prisons that Adam and I have discussed. Yeah. Now, the last woman to be executed in Scotland was named Susan Newell, and she was hanged at the Duke Street Prison in 1923 after being found guilty of strangling a paper boy. I want my $2. You know, that that would get on your nerves. I don't know yeah. to the point of, of strangling the, a poor kid, but... Uh, um, that's what she was executed for. And the people that have reported paranormal experiences in and around the area, they say that the prisoners like Susan Newell are still haunting the old prison hotel, which again is right there at the necropolis. Mm -hmm. So perhaps some of the activity that you see in the necropolis is not so much from the people buried there, but from the people that maybe died a much more horrific death while either staying in the hotel or while living in the prison or even being executed. And so maybe that leaks over a little bit, you know, it's all right sure. there together. Now, one of the most regular sightings is a ghostly presence that brushes up against people on the stairs of the cathedral house. Hey, now, now we're talking, now we're getting somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. and, and Adam will love this. There's also been reports of two ghostly children that can be heard on the top floor of the hotel. 
It's always ghost kids <laughs> everywhere we go. And and other things that happen in a hotel, uh, furniture being moved on its own. Not just I'm walking into a room and that chair was over here when I was here before, but actually visualizing the physical movement of a piece of furniture before your eyes. <laughs> Seeing it move and nothing touching it. Okay? So those are the type of things that have been reported in the hotel. Um, many people have, re- uh, have reported uh, other sightings, full apparitions, and a lot of people have gone in to investigate just the hotel um, hoping to catch some you know, legitimate evidence of ghostly presence there. Um, in 2005, the Ghost Finder Scotland, who we've mentioned on this show before, uh, conducted an in, uh, investigation using high-tech equipment like what we see on these TV shows now. But they did find that there is an unusual electromagnetic field uh, in and around the area of the uh, Cathedral House Hotel. Um, they also recorded light orbs and other visual anomalies that they were able to capture on video and in still photographs. So, you know, it's it's one of these uh, a chicken and the egg kind of deal. Mm-hmm. So, what happened first? Did um did the the cathedral house housing all these uh, supposedly reformed criminals that had gotten out of prison? Uh, did it prompt uh, some negative energy that maybe held on to some of the spirits of the folks that died there, or? Is the necropolis so um, overrun with spirits that it just, they flood into the hotel? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, you know, we're not really sure. Um, But what we are sure of is that it it was very difficult to find any actual documented, hey, I saw this happen on such and such date while visiting the Glasgow necropolis. Um, we took these weird photos, um, you know, so-and-so's ghost likes to roam this area or you hear some weird noise. If you, if you stand at this grave, it feels like somebody's behind you, all those kind of stuff. And those are all stories that we've heard from other supposedly haunted cemeteries. You just don't get that from, no. from the Glasgow necropolis. Now, with what estimated what fifty thousand people buried mm-hmm. there, um, you would think at at some point in time, you know, there might be a restless spirit or two creeping around. And and don't get me wrong, we're not discounting the fact that it's haunted. What we're saying is that there's really not a lot of documented evidence that it's haunted. Um, right, and if Matt and I can do anything, we can find documented ghost sightings or, or documentation of hauntings. We might not be able to do much else, but we got that. We can do those things. We can usually come across, um, you know, something, but, um, what we've discussed here is pretty much what's out there. I mean, you know, you guys may be able to find, you know, maybe one or two, um, stories that we may have passed over just getting buried in the minutia. Um, but there's just not a lot. I, I don't, 
like I said, I don't deny the fact that it's that it's haunted. It it sure would seem like a place that would seem haunted, but you know, is it really? I don't know. It brings a lot yeah. of tourists. Um, but I, I was telling Adam right before we started recording. Um, if you ask me, hey, do you want to go and take a tour of a really old cemetery in Scotland? And I'd be like, yeah, that sounds awesome. But if you told me, hey, do you want to go take this ghost tour of a really old cemetery in Scotland? And I go through this tour, I'd be like, man, I'm pissed. <laughs> right. This, this ghost tour didn't have enough ghosts on it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, well, and, it may be a lot like we've talked before where, you know, most of the spirits here communicate through a feeling and very hard to document a feeling very hard to say well it's from this ghost this area um and you know that may be the reasoning for not having documentation of anything or people writing anything down because there may be a lot of people getting feelings or something like that that they just carry with them and they'll tell people yeah that place is haunted Mm-hmm. but they don't document anything. They don't tell anybody anything just because it's not, you know, it, there wasn't anything that they could pinpoint. They yeah. just felt it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I would definitely say if, if you're planning on taking a trip to Glasgow, put this on the list of places you want to see. I mean, if, and if, send us pictures, if those kind of things are cool to you, then this would be a cool place to visit. If you're thinking about going and doing some kind of amateur ghost hunt, you might want to pick a better place in Glasgow because there's plenty right. of them. Um, but definitely visit the Glasgow Necropolis. Um, you can see tons of pictures online. Um, but something about seeing a, a photo of a of a grave site that's you know a, a huge ornate monument to the person buried there in a photo and then standing at it in real life are two completely different things. Absolutely. I would would definitely put this on your travel list. And and if you live there and you haven't taken the opportunity to go, and I know we've got some listeners in Scotland, Mm -hmm. um, you you should visit this place because I mean, especially if you live there, this is, this is the history of, of your town. Right. Um, And it's, it's fantastic. So, so I would definitely say, Make the visit, know what you're in for, um, you know, get creeped out if you want, but, uh, that you're going to experience anything. Yeah. On that note, you know, like we always say, tell us what you think. Um, do you think this place is haunted and there's no way that it couldn't be haunted because of the history of the place and who's buried there and how many people are buried there, but the experiences are something that can't be documented or do you think that this is one of those cemeteries that just doesn't have the activity that some other ones do? Let us know. Um, you know, join us tomorrow, March seventh, uh, for the live show, and tell us what you think in there. You know, or hit us up on Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. And you can join our Facebook group, um, and and that's where we see a lot of interaction. Uh, between the members talking about trips. I mean, we're getting photos of places we've talked about in past shows where 
listeners have actually gone and visited and are sending us photos. It's fantastic. You know, and, and the, the idea that Adam and I may have mentioned someplace that one of you guys would have decided to visit because you heard about it on our show. And that's, that's amazing. So we, we, Mm -hmm. we love to hear those stories. Um, and while you're at it, go check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. Uh, there you can buy graveyard tales, merchandise. Uh, you can listen to the show. You can find out a little bit more about Adam and myself and you can become a patron. And we want to continue to thank everyone who has donated to the show. I promise you, we put that money right back into the show to make more and better content for you guys. Please go and if you will, rate and review us on iTunes. That brings us up the charts and it helps people come to the graveyard. So, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. That was that was terrible. Yeah. That that laugh, that laugh was the <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to give you a laugh. <laughs> It's a it's a E for effort. Yeah, well, Matt, we've done sixty of these. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty hard to keep finding decent ones. <laughs>